Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Middle of the week, August 5th, Wednesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us on this Wednesday. Good to be with you. You want to be part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. That is the number. Want more fast and less furious? Switch to gigabyte, uh, excuse me, gigabit C Spire fiber and see what real internet looks like. No data caps, no long-term contracts, no cancellation fees. Learn more at cspire.com slash fiber. There has been speculation throughout the course of the day that this is the day that the SEC would announce its schedule. I have it on good authority that if indeed... Um, the new opponents come out today, you will not get dates on a schedule. And I'm not 100% sure that the actual schedule is going to come out today uh, regardless. Uh, what would be the reason? Because they gave us the might... start day. Do what? What would be the reason for not giving us the dates? Because they told us when the season is going to begin, so I mean, why not just give us the full thing, dates included? I don't know if they're still working on dates and kind of hammering some things out, if they are perhaps working with their television partners on scheduling, or maybe they just want to capture two news cycles. So dumb. Just just give us the schedule. You, we all know you have it. Just give it to us so we can all move on. Go move on to the next thing. Come on. Still a huge missed opportunity to not do some kind of like bracket reveal show, or not bracket reveal show, but schedule reveal show on the SEC Network. Feels like there's a lot of uncertainty out there today, and you know it's weird because it feels like we've gone in cycles on this, right? I mean, we were we were really optimistic for a long time, and then we hit a stretch where we were all fairly pessimistic about you know just in general what was going to happen and when it was going to happen, and then the positivity kind of came back, the optimism kind of came back a little bit, and then uh, I don't know, last couple of days kind of feels mm, just yeah. Like, are we going to get there? I uh, don't know if we're going to get there or not. I mean, we're still, what, five and a half weeks away from the SEC attempting, or longer than that. Uh, we're, good grief, eight, nine weeks away from the SEC trying to kick things off on September 26th. We're inside a month for some programs. We've gotten some more scheduling news, though not from the SEC today. And we got a lot to talk about today. There's a ton of news today. Um, I think the, 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 the conference to keep an eye on right now is the Big Ten. So we got the Big Ten schedule released today with dates. They are going to attempt, as it stands right now, to start Labor Day weekend 
In fact, they'll start on Thursday night, September 3rd, play games on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. There are two open dates built into the schedule, and then they tentatively are going to play the conference championship game on December 5th, but they say the 12th and the 19th are also open dates, so they've got a couple of weeks built into the back end of the schedule as well. I've talked to some people that say things feel a little precarious with the Big Ten right now. Like, wouldn't be shocked if in the next few days the Big Ten just kind of throws up its hands and says, no, we're not going to do it. We're not playing football this year. I don't know if that would force the hand of other conferences. I don't know if that would just leave the Big Ten sitting on an island of one. But all of this feels very much up in the air right now. And I'm not trying to – I mean, you guys know that I'm absolutely glass half full on the college football season and have been and will continue to be. But do you get that same feeling when you look around, or or am I just out there all by myself? Well, the commissioner of the Big Ten on the Big Ten Network during the Big Ten schedule release today said, yeah, this is a schedule, but this does not mean we're playing football this year. This means if we do, this is what we're going to try to do, but this absolutely does not mean that we will have football this fall. I mean, he made it, and that's not the first time he's been that point-blank period with that statement. Yeah. Hey, Dan, I have had a conversation with a couple of different people today and have kind of come away with the the thought, and I guess some of this is kind of my own thinking, that while, yes, COVID-related concerns are part of the issue here, the other part of the issue is this whole social justice, player demands, unity, we want more, we want more, we want more thing that is going on and appears to be gaining some steam. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we are definitely in the middle of of what feels like a, a huge paradigm shift in college athletics, that the players have, after all these years, finally realized that they do have some power and they're going to do you know what they, they want to do at this point. Um, will it alter the sport dramatically? Will it make huge changes? Or will it all sort of go by the wayside once we realize we're going to start playing games? I don't know the answer to that. But they're definitely, definitely, you can feel the wheels of change moving, and it's up to you to determine if that's good or bad. How tight, how tight a rope are the players walking right now, with regard to empowerment and being emboldened to ask for, to make big asks? versus overplaying their hand and getting basically nothing out of this. We've kind of I mean, see the, it play on both sides already, right, with these lists of demands from two Power 5 leagues. Yeah, the Pac-12 demands felt out of hand and out of control. I thought the Big Ten demands that came out today were a little more reasonable. And so, it's you know, it's it's all about finding balance. You know, you, there's only so much you can ask for, and there's, there's going to be so much people are willing to give. I think the Pac-12... Is willing to give some things, and the NCAA is willing to give some things, but there are some things they're not going to give on. And if that's a sticking point and a breaking point, then there won't be any football in the Pac-12. Still maintain that name, image, and likeness will end a lot of this stuff. It'll end a lot of this once some players start seeing a little money in their pocket. They'll 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 back down from a lot of this. I think Philip and Starkville on the ceasefire text line says players will power their way to fans walking away and killing the sport. And you know it was interesting reading the. Uh, the statement that came from the players of the Big Ten today uh, saying that they represent over a 1,000 players. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily means a 1,000 players signed off. 
I think that was a way of saying, oh, yeah, we're representative of the over 1,000 players in the Big Ten. But it said that, you know, as the biggest stakeholders in college athletics, we the players, da, 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 da. And I get where they're coming from with, okay, we're the biggest stakeholders because we're the players. I'm not sure that 100%, though, I agree with that. Because you kind of got three prongs to this thing. You have the players, obviously important. You can't have football without the players. You have the coaching staffs slash administrations, and you can't have football without the coaching staffs and administratives that support college football and make sure that the, the game works. But then the third prong of this is the fans. And sometimes people want to belittle the fans, right? Oh, you just fans short for fanatic. Well, if you push the fans away, it doesn't really matter if you have the players or you have the coaches and administration. You don't have football without fans. And fans who are willing to pay lots and lots of money for tickets, who are willing to donate um, donate money to programs to help f- support facility builds and scholarships, and quite frankly, just the overall revenue the athletics departments need to operate. So I, I don't know if that is a pie that is divided into thirds where each of the three things have to be in place to make this work. But belittling or minimizing the importance of any of those three groups makes the whole thing not work. I mean, look at UConn today. Obviously not a college football power by any stretch. Uh, Pre-pandemic, UConn football was losing money by the millions. Uh, they they were losing fans, they lost their conference affiliation, and they were, at war, at best, going to have to probably drop down to the FCS. I mean, that's how much the program was cratering financially and otherwise because people stopped buying tickets and people stopped showing up. So they canceled their season today on their own, in part because it was going to be hard for them as an independent to build a schedule, but also it made financial sense for them to not play because the program itself if you can believe it, a Division One football program is a money pit, losing millions of dollars, and that's directly attributed to people not showing up and giving money and buying tickets anymore. UConn plays at Rensselaer Field in Hartford, Connecticut, so it's not on their campus. It's you know 45 minutes from their campus. It is a small stadium, about 40,000 seats. It has limited premium seating that is available. They are not part of a power conference that generates massive revenue. They're making the move from the AAC back to the Big East, which is not a football conference. It's a basketball conference. They are, as Borky pointed out just a second ago, playing college football now as an independent. And if you remember a few years ago, UConn earned an invitation to the Fiesta Bowl. Had a really good football team. I think it's when Dan Orlovsky was the quarterback. And they lost like $3 million going to an access bowl. Nobody loses money when they go to those games, but UConn did. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. About 45 minutes from right now, former Mississippi State football player Charles Mitchell will join us. Among other things, we will talk to Charles uh, about his relationship with DJ Looney, the former Mississippi State player who tragically passed away. He was an assistant coach at uh, Louisiana Lafayette. 
And Hey Dad, by all accounts, is a guy that was just liked by everybody that encountered him. Just had kind of a bigger-than-life personality. Uh, a lot of people looked at him as, uh, if not a rising star, certainly a guy who was uh, progressing fairly rapidly in his coaching career and just, generally speaking, a joy to be around. Yeah, you would have to look far and wide to find somebody with a bad thing to say about DJ Looney. Everybody loved that guy, uh, and he was Mississippi State down to his down to his bones. He he loved being part of the uh, the team up here in Starkville during his time here as a player. When he was an assistant coach, uh, he loved it up here. He wanted to stay uh, here in Starkville uh, when Joe Moorhead took over, and it just didn't work out. And there there was no doubt in my mind at some point though he would have found his way back here. Uh, and like you said, a rising star, a guy that had a lot of potential to become a, a great college football coach. And, uh, yeah, yeah, just a, a really tough loss for, for the Mississippi State family. Uh, in a year of, of three, you know, this, he's the third former Mullen player. So you're talking about guys, you know, he was 31. I think he's the oldest that have passed mm-hmm. away this year uh, with, with him and P.J. Jones and Deronia Wilson. Yeah, difficult year on – uh, that front. Charles Mitchell was a teammate and a friend of DJ Looney, so we'll uh, get some of his reflections on DJ. My guess is that there is a, uh, a funny story or two that is probably there from that relationship, uh, given the personality that uh, DJ Looney has. But I think it'll also be interesting to uh, to talk to Charles about some of the issues that are happening in college football as a, uh, a former player uh, who has, has gone through uh, the, the rigors of being on a college football team in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, what's it like? What what, uh, what what does he make of some of the demands that are coming from players across the country? And he has another perspective of that too. He's an assistant coach right now over at Jackson State. So, yeah. So, uh, looking forward to our conversation with Charles Mitchell uh, coming up at four oh five, and then to begin the five o'clock hour. Normally, we would have the college football fix. We'll push that back a little bit today to uh, visit with Jim Gallagher Jr. as we get set for the uh, PGA Championship. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really really excited about this golf tournament. Borky mentioned it yesterday. Uh, it's a golf tournament where you're going to get primetime golf. You're going to be able to watch it. You've got Tiger Woods in the field, first time that uh, only the fourth time that he has played this season. Now, it has been a very disjointed season, and a season in golf now is comprised of the wraparound. So you're really going back to November of last year and then rolling through the, the shutdown with the pandemic and, and everything else. But only the fourth time that Tiger Woods has played this year. People are excited about watching him. It's a star-studded field. you got a bunch of guys that are playing really, really well, a bunch of interesting storylines, a fantastic golf course, a long golf course, weather that is going to be fantastic to go along with all of it. Uh, just really looking forward to that this weekend. And uh, Jim Gallagher Jr. will join us to uh, break down the PGA Championship as we are on the eve of the start of that golf tournament the big 10 unity proposal a letter from uh, and again this comes from the players tribune before we even get to this can we point out that like everything like seemingly everything there is a person or an entity or a group of people behind this that are driving an agenda You've got this former player slash union guy who is trying to unionize college football and cram this stuff through. Now, you could make the argument 
the college football players can't do this on their own. They, they've got to have something from an organizational structure to be able to push these things through. But are these really the ideas of current college football players, or are they ideas that are being planted and sold to college football players that they are signing off on? I think there's a difference in those two things. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, especially when you read the Pac-12's proposal. Those ideas came from somewhere else. I mean, in, I think a lot of it is they're inspired by CBA negotiations. Now, I think this Big Ten one that we're about to go through is reasonable. This is not the same as what the Pac-12 players are asking for. These guys are not asking for a 50-50 revenue split or eligible. None of that stuff. It's mostly tied to COVID protocols. What they're asking for is so different. But like the Pac-12, when you look at what they're asking for in the 50-50 revenue split, did you know that NFL players do not get a 50-50 revenue split? Yeah. The league that features Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Tom Brady and Drew Brees, yes, those guys do not get a 50-50 revenue split. So, yeah, something is driving this train beyond just their ideas for sure. But at least in the Big Ten's case... This is something that you can sit down and negotiate with that, that seems fair and that they're coming from it or coming at it from the right perspective. And, and, and just oh, by the way, on the whole revenue split proposal in the, uh, the We Are United thing from the Pac-12 players, it's disingenuous at best because they couch this in we're doing what's best for all of these sports, but they're not doing what's best for all of these sports because they don't ask for a 50-50 revenue split where the athletics department takes 50% of its revenue and divides it among all the athletes. No, that's not what they're asking for. They're asking for a 50-50 split for the revenue that each sport produces. So if the football team generates $50 million in revenue... They want $25 million of that to go to the football players to be split. If the basketball program produces $7 million in revenue, they want $3.5 million of it to be split. Do you know how many other programs at the other 14 Pac-12, uh, uh, I'm sorry, at the 14 Pac-12 institutions, do you know how many other programs in all of the sports combined operate in the black? Probably 14 or fewer. I'm, I'm pretty excited they worked a little capitalism in there. What are you talking about? This sounds like a great thing. The answer, by the way, is zero. Yeah. Hey. You There's get, not you a get, baseball program or a women's basketball program in the Pac-12 that is self-sustaining. Maybe, maybe Oregon women's basketball. Maybe. But I think that's probably a stretch. Yeah. So I, I hear what you're saying on the capitalism front, but let's not pretend... Like the football players that are driving this thing are like, you know what? We need to take all the revenue that's coming in from the from the athletic department and split it among all these sports so it's equitable for everybody. No. You have two programs at these schools that are operating in the black where there is actual revenue to split. Everybody else is operating in the red. So zero divided by two is zero. And then you know what happens to all those sports. And maybe they don't care. And look, if you're a true capitalist, and I think I am, if you don't provide value, then you cease to exist after for after a while. But like your girlfriend, the basketball player, she won't have a team to play for anymore. Yeah. 
Because they will get rid of everything well, except for the women's sports that equal the number of scholarships well, that I mean, football they, and basketball they, are totaled, and everything else is gone. That's how it will work. They address that, and I guess in a way, because they say they want to pay for some sports out of the endowments. And I know you said that that's not how that works, but at the same time, I believe that when people in power want things to change, they they, they can change pretty easily. So yeah, I mean, they you can, can make change that happen pretty but, easily. But people that donate money to the endowments earmark it for certain things. The athletics departments don't have twenty-seven point seven billion dollar endowments. It's the university. I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that if the university wants things to change, they can make it happen. I, I don't think they can. I, I think you're missing the point of that. So, so hey, Dad, let's say that you donate a billion dollars to Mississippi State, and you donate it specifically for the engineering department and the vet school. Your passion is for students to get the best engineering degree and the best veterinary science degree that they can possibly get. And you sign a long-term agreement or you make that donation and it's in writing that that money is going to endow scholarships for those two specific programs. The university can't just say, well, you know, we've got this billion dollars sitting over here, and I know Hey Dad, when he gave it to us, did so with the understanding that it would be for engineering and veterinary science scholarships, but you know what? We're going to use that to support the softball program. They can't do that. They can't, but they can easily make a phone call and say, hey, Mr. Hey Dad, would you be willing to give up a portion of this and, and see what he says? And at least a couple of donors are going to be like, yeah, especially when you talk about in terms of we need to keep the university afloat through the athletic program. They're, they're most, most people who are Mississippi State or any university's boosters are going to see that and say, yeah, I'm willing to help. But you have to, I mean, you have to ask. I agree that you can't just do it. But, but, but you've, you, you've also got to have leadership on the fundraising side that wants to make those phone calls. We've read story after story about the fact that Vanderbilt, which is a school that has high academic standards, they, like, silo those things and will not let athletics department fundraisers even reach out to somebody that's donated money to the med school. Well, that's Vanderbilt. What's the difference between them and Alabama? A lot. You know what else is the difference? About 10x in their endowment. Well, true. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Mississippi with you, streaming on supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydeb, thanks for being with us this afternoon. If you want to be part of the show, you can do so. See Spire text line 601-879-4395. Never actually got to the letter and the demands from the Big Ten players. It says, to the NCAA and the Big Ten Conference, college athlete unity is going on record to express the concerns of over 1,000 Big Ten football players. That strikes me as disingenuous right out of the gate, but I digress. CAU members represent 23 different varsity sports at schools in every major conference, as well as across every NCAA division, the NAIA, and youth sport in Canada. CAU seeks to empower collegiate athletes to use their platforms for change 
We support the right of all athletes to stand up and speak out. And then they say a bunch of other stuff, but here's what you care about, probably. Or maybe you don't. The Big Ten Unity Proposal. It's broken down into protecting uh, the well-being of all athletes through oversight and transparency. Easy for you to say. Prevention and safety protocols, testing, contact tracing, and related procedures, player assurances, and hazard-related economic support. The players in this group, College Athlete Unity, want third parties approved by players to administer COVID testing and to enforce all COVID-19 health and safety standards. They want sufficient penalties for noncompliance, and they want a mandate for athletics personnel to report suspected violations. I wonder how they would choose the third party and, and how that third party would get compensated, but overall, not unreasonable, right? No, not at all. Don't we think this is happening, though? Or is it just that it's not uniform? I, I think it's they not want uniform. uniformity. I don't know that it's third parties, either. Aren't these university-related doctors and everything happening? Yeah, but they're sending the tests off. I mean, there's kind of a... I mean, maybe, maybe they just want, they want the testing done by third parties. They don't want they don't want they don't want the university to have any part of it. So they want a stranger to jab that Q-tip up your nose to your brain. I mean, are we supposed to believe they're best friends with these doctors as it is? Uh, yes, a stranger, sure. Um, in terms of prevention and safety protocols, ensure all athletes have up-to-date information about the risks that COVID nineteen may pose to their personal health, the health of their families, and the health of their communities. Where does that information come from? Is it straight from the CDC, who changes its guidelines on a weekly basis and its information all the time? Is it from state medical directors, state chief health officers? Is it from Clay Travis? Is it from MSNBC? I doubt it's from Clay Travis. Yeah, I doubt it is either, but the point is the up-to-date information varies greatly depending on the source. I don't know if you've noticed that over the last five months or not. Oh, I have. Uh, Adherence to WHO. Is the United States still part of that? I think we left. Yeah, Yeah, I think think we left. And CDC guidance for sporting events in compliance with all federal, state, and local statutes and regulations. Okay. That makes sense. I think that's happening, though. Safety standards that are appropriate for each sport? Sure. Social distancing requirements that are mandatory and mask wearing in and around athletics facilities by coaches, staff, players, vendors, press, and visitors. 100%. Different league, but apparently early on in the NFL, there's been a handful of coaches that are very against wearing masks around the facility, and the league is having to address that with them individually. Okay. You don't wear masks, we'll kick you out. We don't care if you're Sean Payton or the... Quality control assistant. I mean... <sighs> Peyton may not I mean, have to a, wear it. He's got immunity, right? He had it a few months ago. But, I mean, isn't that one of these things where you're like, come on, man, just everybody's trying to... We're all trying to get to the same thing here. Make it a little easier. Minimum cleaning and sanitation protocols for all uniforms, equipment, and athletic facilities, including visitor locker rooms. Perfect. 
Temperature checks for anyone entering an athletic facility. No problem. By the way, Yankees up three zip over the Phillies in the bottom of the second. Um, all right, here are the, the testing procedures and contact tracing and whatnot. Contact tracing protocols for anyone who comes into contact with college athletes and team personnel who test positive. Makes sense. Might be a little difficult. I mean, what if one of your athletes goes to a party, comes in contact with somebody? I mean, we're casting a pretty wide net there. Testing of everyone who comes into contact with college athletes, including coaches, trainers, medical staff, nutrition staff, referees, media, etc. Makes sense, right? Yeah, you could probably eliminate media from that equation because they're not going to be able to be in contact with you guys this year. But still, that's fair. Everything. Yeah, yeah but I mean, we're zooming everything this year. Yeah, but for example, I mean, if a if it happens, and there is a radio broadcast for football games, and they allow a sideline reporter, where I would be down in the general area of the players, I would have no objection to taking a COVID-19 test to be able to do my job. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be fair. That loosely is a, goes into the media category. How about this? This, this is, yeah, I don't know, in-season testing of all of the above three days per week. So like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, i got to go to the team facility to be tested for COVID-19? They would probably just eliminate some of the parties, right? Like they, if, if that's what it came down to and they agreed to this, and by the way, the commissioner of the Big Ten seems to be on board with basically all of this. Okay. Um, but wouldn't, don't you think they would just kind of eliminate people in contact with them to avoid having to test everybody that often? Not probably so. Um, in-season testing of all of those people, testing twice per week with an FDA-approved test with less than 1% false negatives. Additionally, this is, I mean, talk about turnaround time. Testing on the day of competition or within 24 hours of competition for each team that can be quarantined with an FDA-approved test with less than a 5% false negatives with results delivered at least two hours before competition. You got a night game. That means you wake up day of the game, whether you're the home team or the road team. If you're the road team, maybe in the hotel, or if it's closed before you get on the bus, if you're the home team, you know, you got to come to the facility early that morning, and you got to be tested. And the results have to be back minimum of two hours before the game starts. Immediate quarantine of any person who tests positive or exhibits symptoms, which by the law is now state-mandated in Mississippi. Quarantine rules for college athletes who test positive and protocols for their return to practice and competition. And objective criteria for shutting down seasons should the pandemic take a turn for the worst or if teams experience significant outbreaks. That part really makes sense to me. I I mean, maybe that's a scary element to this, but when you say objective, not, well, we're going to kind of figure it out on the fly like Major League Baseball is doing, but you say 
if 40% of the teams on a given Saturday in a league cannot play, you got to shut the whole thing down. If 15% of your roster tests positive on a given day, you got to shut it down. But this would say, I mean, this would make me think you're talking about shutting everything down. I don't understand why you would do that as opposed to just pressing pause. That's kind of the whole point of building in all the open dates. Players want assurances for whistleblowers. They want to ban the use of COVID-19 liability waivers. By the way, somebody I heard point this out. I can't remember where it was. I don't remember if it was a conversation that I was having or something I heard on the radio. On the whole liability waiver, if a player breaks protocol and contracts COVID-19 and then has serious complications while they're playing football, why should a university or athletic program be held liable there? It's a great question. And, and, I mean, it could... they, they just have to figure it out. That you know, how did you how did he come in contact? If they can figure out, okay, he did something outside of the rules, then he's going to be liable. Okay. Automatic medical red shirt for any player who misses any competitions due to a positive test or a mandatory quarantine due to contact tracing. Okay. Preserve athletic ability, uh, eligibility, scholarship, and roster spot for any player who opts out or is unable to play in more than forty percent of their games due to COVID. And then this was a weird one: complimentary access to the Big Ten Network for athletes' family members. Okay, we'll put community passwords out there so they can watch all games online. It's not that big of an ask. It's better than a 50-50 revenue split. It's a reasonable request. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be back with you. Yeah, little spin doctors on a Wednesday. What year does this take you back to, hey, Dad? 90... 94, 95, some of that. 94, 95, some of that, yeah. Big Spin Doctors fan? <laughs> of the of their three songs, yeah, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah. They were kind of it for a little while. They they had a, they had a, a brief moment in the sun, for sure. Yeah. I remember there was a Spin Doctors concert at Mud Island. I didn't get to go, but I, I remember it, like, you know, 14-year-old me really wanted to go to that. Didn't happen. Yeah. Uh. This is where Borky makes an old joke in three. I, I wasn't going to say anything, but yeah, but, I saw the eye roll just a second ago. Yeah, well, well, you said ninety three, and you almost went to a concert on Mud Island, and I was probably not walking yet. Yeah, well, see, you brought this one on yourself. Oh, I know. I trying to come up with some sort of witty retort, came up empty. <sighs> Took your parents a long time to decide they were ready for a Michael Borky. It's <laughs> the best I can come up with. Best I can come up with. Um, Ceasefire text line. You can uh, jump in and be part of the conversation. Uh, conversation if you would like to uh, do so. Spin doctors still on the jukebox at the Brookhaven skating rink. Sorry, Brookhaven skating rink. Hmm. If I skated, that would be I'd, I'd hit I'd hit that up. One, I dig that there's a jukebox there. Two, I dig 
that there's still a skating rink in Brookhaven. There's a skating rink. There's not a skating rink in Oxford. There's one in Starkville. Nope, there's not. If there's one here, I don't know about it. Where do you know teenagers hang out? Is there? What are they doing? Sonic. 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 Yeah. Hey, you know what Oxford just got? Just opened this week. I'm not no. trying to do free advertising, but I, I will. Um, I guess that's what this is. So there's a new Dairy Queen in Oxford. Or is is Dairy Queen making a comeback? Because speaking of my youth, there's been one in Starkville for a couple of years now. I vividly remember like five year old Richard being so excited going through the drive through at Dairy Queen when they did the uh, hand dipped ice cream cones. So it was like the soft serve serve ice cream, yeah. and then they yeah. would dip them in chocolate. Yeah, they still do that. Well, I'm going to try that soon, but that soon does not have a definitive timetable right now because two days ago when I was driving home from work, it's on Jackson Avenue, and so I was going east on Jackson Avenue, and I was trying to figure out why cars were stopped in the right-hand lane. So four four lanes, and the right-hand lane of the two eastbound lanes Wrap around drive through around the building, through the parking lot, and then back west about 25 cars deep on Jackson Avenue. For a blizzard? I have been to lots of nice restaurants in, in New Orleans and in, in Tampa and Las Vegas. I've been to a lot of really cool, good desserts. But I love a dipped cone more than just about anything on the planet. If you're talking about something sweet, that would that, be in my top Three. So if I said you had to choose between vanilla cone dipped in chocolate where it kind of hardens on the outside, kind of like a Klondike bar, right? or you could get an Oreo Blizzard, you'd go with the dip cone? Oh, dip cone, 100%. Butterfinger Blizzard? Dip Demon cone. Blizzard? Doesn't matter. Dipped cone at Dairy Queen all the time. Okay. Gets messy on the beard, I'll tell you that, though. It's, it's, it's tough. you got a lot of napkins involved. You guys ever see those YouTube videos of people that will get an ice cream cone from a drive-thru and grab it grab, by the ice cream? Yeah. Like, why, why, why do you do that? Why? why? I, it's just one of those things I don't get. I mean, I'm old. Oh, but I, I, I don't it's, it's get It's the it. faces of the people handing it to them that makes it so <laughs> great. I wish I could read this text message exactly as it came in. <laughs> it says, new Bojangles... In Horn Lake, bleep down Goodman Road the other day, and then he had to follow it up with <laughs> "shut." Me- meant to type "shut down," "shut," "shut." <laughs> uh, we've had multiple people say the Heath Bar Blizzard with a caramel drizzle is the way to go. That sounds good. Uh, this is good information for you, Borky. Actually, this is bad information. Borky, pretend like you did not hear this. You can't walk and chew gum. You can't run around a garbage can. You don't need to know where local skating rinks are. But for those of you who are slightly more coordinated than Michael Borky, apparently there are skating rinks in both Clinton and Pearl. There you go. Thanks, I would Scott. leave one of those two places on my trajectory in a body bag. Very least on a stretcher. At least, yeah. I am... Uh. And the thing is, I used to play hockey. And so I oh could skate. <laughs> what? Yeah. 
I was I could skate, man. Forky, we're, like, we're talking about roller build. skating, not ice skating. Uh, well, it was South Carolina, so there wasn't that much ice. We had to do a hybrid. We had to do both. It was wild. Rollerblades? Yeah. I'll tell you about it one day. Sports Talk Mississippi. Charles Mitchell joins us next. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad on Wednesday, the 5th of August. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. You want to be a part of the conversation? That's the best way for you to do it. Got a lot going on at Ceasefire. Bull. There's a lot of it in wireless, but Ceasefire thinks you deserve a plan that's actually what it says. Here's the real deal. The best plan for one or two lines, $45 each with auto pay and paperless billing. No bull. That is the real deal. Visit cspire.com for more information. We are uh, excited to visit for the very first time on Sports Talk Mississippi with Charles Mitchell. He joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team at Mississippi Farm Bureau. Charles now an assistant coach at Jackson State, former Mississippi State safety. And uh, Charles, really appreciate a few minutes of your time. A couple of things that we would like to get to with you this afternoon. We'll eventually get to some of what's happening in the uh, the college football landscape uh, and maybe kind of how when you were a player some of that relates and some of your thoughts and opinions on that but really would like to start with uh, with your relationship with uh, now the late DJ Looney a, a teammate of yours I know a friend of yours Brian Haydad and I were talking earlier and I, I obviously didn't know DJ but everything you read and everybody you hear talk about him you, you can't find anybody that says anything bad about DJ Looney Oh, no, you won't. Uh, I don't think you'll find anyone that has a bad thing to say about DJ. You know, ever since, you know, my first time meeting him, you know, he's always been a great guy, great person, a good friend. Um, he was one of my mentors, even though he's only one year older than me. You know, as far as coaching-wise, he's been in the game for a long time. And when I first started, he was one of the guys I talked to, you know, and looked for advice from. And um, like you said, I don't, I don't think – you're going to find anybody that has a bad thing to say about them. And just like you said with social media, even when I was scroll, scrolling through, you know, I, I saw so many people, you know, that he touched, and all of them had good things to say about him. And, and you know, that's just who he was. Charles, I'd love a little insight from you. DJ Looney, the football player, the teammate. T- tell me something that maybe most people don't know about him or something that really stands out in your mind about him. I mean, he, he 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 wasn't any different. You know, he's going to give you energy, passion. Um, he loved the game. He wasn't the most athletic, wasn't the best player, but I promise you he gave you everything he had. You know, he whatever he had in the tank, he was going to give it, and, and the energy that he gave, he, you fed off of it. So I know guys on the offensive line, when he was out there, he, he I mean, when you – just being a teammate of him, you knew that he was going to be a coach because the way Coach Mullen came in and, you know, his staff approached each and every day, he was the same way, energy, uh, effort, passion. And one of the things Coach Mullen always talked about was a relentless effort. And, you know, I think he really did give that. Again, like I said, he wasn't the best player, 
But, you know, he gave it all he had, so that made – and then people people uh, fed off of that. So uh, I think that helped us. But, you know, as a player, he, he was awesome. You know, good guy. Just – I mean, that's about, that's about all I can say about it. Charles, what was he like in the locker room? Because for for somebody, the reason I asked that, for, for somebody mm-hmm. to have everybody saying good things about him, he had to be a fun right. guy to be around. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, everybody, you know, had fun in the locker room. When I was playing at Mississippi State, you know, anytime we were in the locker room, if we weren't getting dressed, we were, you know, having a good time. You know, the offensive line, really stayed with the offensive line. You know, we... Hung out in, with the DBs in our area, but you know it, it was it was just fun. No animosity toward each other. Everybody got along, you know, and and, and a lot of that was because of DJ. All right, so that's DJ the player, DJ the locker room guy. What about mm-hmm. off the field, DJ Looney the person? What what do we need to know? Well, we, did, we I didn't really hang out with him off the field too much. You know, but uh, anytime we were, we were together, you know, it was always a good time. You know, just like like just like everybody's saying, he's, he's just a, a good guy. You know, good personality, and my relationship with him was mostly on the field, locker room. Um, and and when I started coaching, you know, I always called him if I was looking for some players. You know, asking him did he did he have anybody that you know his school wasn't looking at, and that that we could possibly get. So he always gave me tips and, and advice on that side of, uh, of of everything. Hey Charles, it's Brian. Hey Dad. You know, I looked down at the Jackson State staff. There's a lot of former Bulldogs on that staff with you there. And right. my my question is, you know, what is it what is it like to to keep up with your teammates after you you leave the university? You know, how how often do you talk to those guys? And and how you know, state state always talks about the MSU family. They like to market that. Exactly. How real is right. that for the former players? Oh, it's real. You know, I talk to a lot of uh, my former teammates. You know, I'm in the blue chat with a bunch of different guys that I played with. Um, few guys that played after I after I left Mississippi State. Um. Like I said, different group chats. We talked all the time. You know, if, I mean, just like you said, it's a family. If it's not through a text message or a phone call, we, we communicate on social media. And um, if, if someone hits me up that's there now or, that you know, they came in after I left, you know, I'm definitely going to reply. And if they, you know, want help or whatever, um, guys have hit me up like that. With, with that's trying to get into coaching, asking me for advice, and, you know, um, and you know, I share what I can with them. I help them out any kind of way. Charles Mitchell, former Mississippi State safety, now on the staff at Jackson State, on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Charles, I'm a, I want to take you way back. I, I want mm-hmm. I want you to take me back to Crumpton Field in Clarksdale <laughs> and give me a memory that stands out. I, I actually mentioned Crumpton Field last week. Uh, mm-hmm. I graduated from Oxford High in 99, so fall of 98 was my last football season. And the last game that I played was on that field, and it did not go, pr- it did not go well for the Oxford Chargers that night. <laughs> um, uh, the, now, I ended up marrying a girl from Clarksdale, so it all worked out in the end. Uh, didn't meet her that night, though. So give me a Clarksdale Wildcats memory. Ooh, it's so many. Um... 
Uh, you were being, part of that group kind of turned things back around for Clarksdale, though, weren't you? Uh, repeat that question. No, I was just saying you were part of that group that kind of turned things back around for Clarksdale, right? Well, yeah, I don't think we turned it around, but I think we kept it going. You know, my freshman year, we, we made it to the state championship. And then my junior year, we made it back to the state championship. And then my senior year, we got put out by Knoxville. But uh, as far as memories, man, it's so many. I think I, my, my my most favorite memory is probably beating the Fed County after they had beat us earlier that year. And we came back around and beat them. So I think we, I don't know if that was the game to advance to the state championship or, or to the next round to get to the state championship. But it was against Justin Woodall's uh, LaFayette County team. Well, that was a good team for LaFayette as well. Oh, uh, yeah. Charles Mitchell. <laughs> so I'm really curious about your perspective on some of what's going on right now. And maybe not so much the COVID-19 stuff, but, but some of what uh-huh. we're reading about players uh, kind of being empowered and using the platform that they've got to seek some changes in college football. And the reason I'm so fascinated with your take is you, you, you've now gone through both sides. You've been on the right. player side, but mm-hmm. now you're looking at it from a different perspective as a coach at the college level. So what's kind of your take on what's going on right now? Well, you know, I, I don't have a problem with the uh, players having a voice. You know, they, they bring so much in for the university – I think they deserve to have a voice. I know people always talk about the um, education. Yeah, but they, but, but these kids, these athletes, they put in a lot of work, sacrifice a lot of time away from family and friends, especially the ones that are really, really dedicated and, you know, really, really have goals to get to that next level. And if and some of them don't, you know, have goals to get to the next level. They go to school for the education, yeah. you know, to get a degree and, and be able to make something out of their life. So, but the amount of money they bring in for the university, I think they at least deserve, you know, if, if they're not getting paid, they at least deserve to have a voice. And, you know, especially what's going on now is, is serious because we talk about, you know, the virus and getting sick and getting better, but we still don't know, you know, long-term effects of, of the virus. So, you know, there's just something else to think about. And and just go back with what Tyler Hill did, you know, you know, as far as him saying he wasn't going to play unless we changed the flag in Mississippi. And, you know, a lot of guys from when I was playing and before, you know, they had his back. You know, a lot of guys spoke up for him on social media or retweeted his message on social media. And, you know, people might say, why didn't y'all make that stand? And, you know, I really don't have a comment on that, but, you know, I think that's big time for him. And like I said, I'm always going to side with the players because they the one you know keep us coaches employed. <laughs> a pretty good perspective there, Charles. Really appreciate your time, and hope we can visit again soon. Oh yeah, no problem. Anytime. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Appreciate Charles Mitchell joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Kind of an interesting final nugget there from Charles Mitchell. Said, I'm always going to side with the players because it's the players who keep us as coaches employed. It's what I said yesterday about, uh, or I guess Monday, about the Washington State coach, Rolovich, that. You, you want to recruit, you got to at least on the surface have to seem like you always have your players back. Rolovich has already walked back his comments, by the way. Has he? Yeah. He said he, he said? used 
I, without knowing exactly, and if Borky wants to look it up, he can. Uh, he wish he'd used different words, different verbiage, basically. Fair enough. We basically, he said, I meant what I said, but I wish I had said it more gently. I'm sure Gary Patterson also shares that similar sentiment. I think he, he released a statement as well, yeah. Yeah, so. uh, apologized and recognized that there's no context ever where he could can or should say what he said. And the only thing that was missing from what we said that apology was going to include was, um, you know, regardless of intent. Yeah. But like, like he had to be thinking, my intent was good here. I was trying to say, no, you can't say this anymore, but I said it twice in the process of saying, you can't say this anymore, and that created an issue. I do think, back to the earlier question and in, in to his response, is, it, he said the players at least need to have a voice. It, he acknowledged that some guys are there and they only get a degree, that they won't go play professional football. That was a, a nice touch uh, from a player's perspective to hear that. But where's the line, right? Where does it go from rational to irrational? And I still think we, we've seen it play out in real time. You went through the list of uh, the Big Ten's demands. I don't think we completed it. There's a couple more about how their cost of attendance stipend uh, needs to be the equivalent of what it was supposed to be. I guess some schools are trying to reduce that. Uh, oh, for the summer times? Yeah. Um, so, but by and large, I think there's your line. I think we see it in real time. Two different leagues, large, well, we don't know how big the group of players in the Pac-12 is, but it's big enough to at least get a response from the commissioner. And a group of athletes from the Big Ten, both coming together, publishing a list of requests or demands, if you want to call them that, one of them is far better received than the other, one of them is far more rational than the other, and one of them can actually be done, in most cases, than the other one. And and the Big Ten commissioners, uh, his quote was, you know, some of these things we're already doing, but I'm looking forward to sitting down and talking to these guys. Like, his response, he even seems more receptive because they're more rational. This is a perfect line right here of player empowerment and where it is a good thing and where it can become something that is irrational and destructive. We see it right here. Big Ten players, great thing, asking for reasonable stuff, all well said. Some of it's already happening, but... That's an approach that you can compromise with. Pac-12 players asking for things that is out of their school's control. Asking for things that would destroy college sports as we know it. Asking for things that simply cannot be done. There's your line. And, and I think, Borky, he, there, there are a couple of different ways that you can approach a negotiation. You can, you can approach a negotiation, and that's what this ultimately is going to be. I mean, it's a list of demands, but it's, it's about opening a dialogue and negotiating for something better than what you've got right now. And so in terms of a negotiation, you can go in and you can ask for something that is so absolutely ridiculous and and off the charts out of touch, and you know you're never going to get that, but then if you fall somewhere below that, maybe even significantly below that, you feel like you achieved a lot. And then there's also, it, 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 this would almost like equate to selling a house. Let's say you want to sell your house. You could ask way, 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 way over market value, knowing that you're going to get less than that, but maybe you're going to end up getting about what you wanted or maybe even just a little bit more. Or you can go into it and say, market value says my house is worth X. I'm going to ask for, when I list it, 
10% above X or 5% above X, knowing that with that, that what I'm asking is not outlandish, I'm not going to have to come a lot off of my asking price, and I'm going to get market value. And, and to me, it's like the Pac-12 approached it of, well, I've got this $200,000 house, and I'm going to ask $500,000 for it in hopes that I can actually get 210000 where the Big Ten's saying, I've got this $200,000 house for sale, and I'm actually going to ask 220000 for it in hopes that I can get between two hundred five and two ten. Is that a is that a reasonable example to kind of look at these two proposals and make it something that's completely different, but make that make sense? I, I was wondering that. Yeah, you know, we've been talking about how college football might want to wait on the NFL to sort of see how they do things and sort of learn from their mistakes. Did the Big Ten do this today? Did they look at the Pac twelve and the reaction and all that and go, okay, got an idea of what we need to talk about then? Maybe. Are we going to see something like this from players in the Southeastern Conference? I, I would have been wondering that in the Big 12, and I, I just don't know. And the ACC? Yeah, I just don't know. It just it feels like football is so woven into the fabric here in the South that that I don't know if it will happen or not. I mean, I, I know that they have a lot of concerns. We, we, we talked about it on Monday with the uh, the article that came out that, that Momo Sonogo was part of a, a group talking to the SEC and they have concerns, but will they go so far as to, to possibly make demands and say we won't play if these aren't met? I, I don't know. If you're Greg Sankey, though, and the athletic directors, aren't you anticipating it coming? Even if it doesn't, but at this yeah. point, two out of five have already done it. you got to be prepared for it. And, and look, well, I'll say this for the Pac-12 players. It's most difficult to be first. I mean, it's most difficult to step out there. A little bit easier for the Big Ten to follow up with a proposal that makes sense. And now we're expecting it, or or almost expecting it, to come from the ACC, SEC, and Big 12. Hey, Dad said he doesn't know for sure. That's fine. But to Borky's point, yeah, I mean, if you're Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, I wonder if you even almost take a proactive approach to this. What if you call together that student-athlete advisory council, SAC, uh, and, and, and pull in all the student-athlete reps and, and hope that this time you can actually have a private conversation with them without somebody leaking the audio or the contents of the call to the general public and say, hey, guys, girls, th- these things are happening in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Let's be proactive as in, in the Southeastern Conference. Instead of you feeling like you've got to put out a statement, let's put out a joint statement. Let's put out a statement that says we're going to work together, hand-in-hand, hand, conference and our student-athlete representatives who are elected by their teammates to represent them with the league office. And let's proactively say this is what we are working on. That's leadership. And you've also, you can point to things too, right? Because I have not seen, maybe I've missed it, I have not seen one SEC coach or athletic department straight up say, no, I don't want name, image, and likeness rights. I mean, we had a senator from Mississippi along with an athletic director from Mississippi on Capitol Hill talking about 
name, image, and likeness rights. That's got to help something, right? Where when the conversation of compensation comes up, you can sit down and say, hey, guys, not only have we as an administration gone, but we went with a senator of this state talking about it, trying to figure out how to get this done for you. Hey, and by the way, I don't know if you guys saw this or not. It happened while the show was going on, and it didn't make a ripple effect because it's not quite as sexy to follow legal cases. But at the, I think it was the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals level, there was a ruling in favor of the players, if if you'll describe it that way, on the name, image, and likeness front. You, you know, the, the NCAA has been trying to get a decision that will limit the scope of name, image, and likeness. And the last mechanism of defense that the NCAA has is to appeal to the United States Supreme Court. And so if you are a proponent of some reasonable limits on name, image, and likeness, that was not a great decision. If you are a wide-open, free market, the players can get anything and there's no real uh, recourse for, for limiting that, then that was a ruling in your favor yesterday. And that's something we're going to have to keep an eye on because that was a big, big, big decision. And it absolutely is something that at the conference administrative level, they took notice of that decision, even though nobody was really talking about it yesterday. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. More with you after this. Well, after 5 o'clock, Jim Gallagher Jr. will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line to talk about the PGA Championship. Looking forward to that. Sorry, Borky, I'm frustrated. I hear you. Sad you're not at Harding Park, huh? Say what? Sad, sad you're not at Harding Park, huh? Oh, yeah, no, I know. That's not why I'm frustrated. They just decided to push the start of school back in Oxford another couple of weeks because that's going to make all the difference in the world. Two weeks. Woohoo! At least there were two people that voted for sanity. When, when does school start in Oxford? Uh, instead of Monday, August the 10th, it will now start Monday, August the 24th. That's what they did here, too. Yeah. So, there we go. School districts, I guess, all over the state will be pushing things back now. Unbelievable. No, that, that's, that's not right at all. That is No, it is thoroughly believable. And board members saying science supports this decision. Yeah. So do agendas. Thankful for the two that voted to do what they'd planned to do and push forward with what the overwhelming majority of parents in the district wanted, but I digress. We better stick to sports before I get in trouble. Somebody says, remember the good old days when this all started and every politician said, it's just two weeks, then we'll all be back to normal. 
Random text of the day. My birthday is next week, and a perfect gift would be Richard interviewing <laughs> Dan Woken for an entire segment. Love the show. That's from Ben in Macomb. Another reminder today of why the bubble actually does work, and it was a good idea. Zero positives yet again. 300-plus tests in the NBA. Not a single player or coach so far has tested positive since they arrived in Orlando. That comes a couple months after the USA Today ran a column saying the bubble idea is stupid and we should stop talking about it. That was your boy Dan the Man? They arrived almost a month ago. I mean, we're, we're a full month into the bubble, almost. Not a, not one single positive for anybody. Zero. Not one. Even the guy that went to the strip club came back negative somehow. <laughs> oh, me. If you want to be part of the show, you can do so on the ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. You can tell us how we should all live in fear. That'd be a good text us that. You ever look at a wall and go, I'd really like to just kind of plunge my head through the sheetrock and just hope that I miss a stud? Yep. Like, like. Like, pounding your head through the sheetrock would feel great, but you don't want to have that one spot every 16 inches where you get in, you, you hit your head on a stud. Yeah. It's kind of where I feel like right now. Um. Okay, back to... Somebody said, you guys should talk politics. <laughs> Doesn't usually go over so well. The ACC will release their actual schedule with the dates and the times and everything, I guess, uh, tomorrow, 9 a.m. Hey! You excited about that? Hopefully it will kickstart some things in Atlanta. ACC Atlanta? In that, well, Birmingham, wherever the hell it is. Jeez. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> even care anymore. It's, just, just give me a schedule. How do you think Alabama gets such favorable calls in key moments in football games? The oh, SEC office is right stop. up the road. Stop. Alabama uh, had an assistant coach. Well, it's not the SEC's problem, but Alabama had an assistant coach make illegal contact with a recruit. The coach got fired because of it, and the NCAA didn't even knock on the door or pick up the phone to call him to ask what's up. They get treated differently. Absolutely they get treated differently than most everybody else. Memphis Grizzlies making a um, thorough and impressive bid to not be able to continue their season beyond four more games. They lose 124-115 today to the Utah Jazz. This has not gone well for Memphis. They're on the trajectory to not only not be the eighth seed, but they could possibly be out of the play-in series. I mean, they went from being in perfect position just to not step on their own feet, and they would at least only have to beat one other team once out of two. Now they're at the point where Portland's probably going to catch them, and New Orleans is only two back. And Phoenix is up here now, and San Antonio, although they're playing right now, I mean, San Antonio's right there now. There is a chance that Memphis 
possibly, if they keep playing like this, with the most difficult schedule left, doesn't even make the play-in series. That is a possibility. And they were three and a half up or four up on everybody. It's wild. Yeah, it really is. Uh, Washington leading Philadelphia by one right now in the third, 70-69. San Antonio's up on Denver, 74-72. Here's the thing. As poorly as the Grizzlies are playing, everybody that's chasing them, Borky, sands the Pelicans, but they looked like they had life against the Grizzlies a couple of days ago. Everybody that's chasing Memphis is playing great. I mean, unexpectedly so in San Antonio's case. I mean, where did this come from? You thought that after LaMarcus Aldridge went down, that basically they were going to go there to get some experience for their young roster. And yet all they do is continue to win. It's it, Portland's so dangerous, too, especially for the Lakers. I mean, forget the 8-9 seed for a second, but I don't think the Lakers have the guard play to keep up with Dame and McCollum. But also, the, the Trailblazers don't have the post play to keep up with LeBron and Anthony Davis. So it's going to be... Guards that can't be guarded against bigs that can't be guarded. And that 1-8 series will be one of the few in recent history that might actually be close. I think Portland could give the Lakers all kinds of trouble. How about, you got like conspiracy theories, don't you? I'm a big fan of those, yeah. I mean, this is full-on black helicopter tinfoil cap. Ceasefire text line, NBA already got the vaccine from the China virus from China, whom they love. <laughs> Come on, hey, Dad, you got to smile about that one. <laughs> that there's actually already a vaccine for this? That's pretty good. <sighs> Lord, beer me strength. That's pretty good. Man, what a weird time we're in. And I mean, you could you could say, well, Richard, you're kind of late to the party on that. It's been weird for a while now. We, we have... Common sense doesn't exist. Middle ground doesn't exist. If you have a dissenting opinion... You're a terrible person. I don't even know if I'm talking about sports or something else at this point. It's the same thing in sports. I mean, people have vilified those who think that we should push on and play football. Like, oh, you're an idiot. Or one test shouldn't derail a season. I mean, somebody. I think it was in The Athletic. I don't remember the publication. But somebody ran a column that after what happened to the Marlins, Major League Baseball should just shut it down because this isn't working. And then... Looks to me like they're playing baseball right now. The only thing that's not working for the New York Yankees is J.A. Happ. That's not working. Oh, and Everything else is working. And the Marlins played last night. They played with half the roster that was new, but they played and won. <laughs> and they're now 3-1 and one with a bunch of single-A players. <laughs> they should shut it down until the playoffs. They're going to get in at 750 winning percentage. Uh, we got the announcement earlier today, Division Three, no fall sports. We also have the announcement, uh, Division Two, no fall championships. So Division Two, seven fall 2020 championships are canceled. The Division Two President's Council decided Wednesday due to the operational, logistical, and financial challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic. 
apparently everybody's taking their cues these days from the NCAA and just kicking the can and passing the buck. What do we mean? We'll tell you when we come back. Remember, there was an NCAA Board of Governors meeting yesterday. We were waiting for an announcement. We didn't get one. And then we got an announcement last night that was 100% a passing of the buck non-announcement. Give you the details. Coming up next, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. So yesterday the NCAA Board of Governors met, and the purpose of the meeting was to decide what to do about fall sports, not named Division I college football. What are you going to do? You're going to play them? You're going to play soccer? You're going to play volleyball? You're going to play run men's and women's cross country, field hockey, the other sports that are out there? So what decision did they come to? Well, the decision they came to was to pass the buck to the Division I Board of Directors. So what did the Division I Board of Directors do? They kept the game of hot potato going and passed the decision on fall sports to the Division I Council and the D2 Council and the D3 Council. Now, Ross Dellinger provides a little bit of context here, and this is probably important. He says, if you want to know why the Board of Governors kicked the can down the road to the divisions, it's because of this. D2 and D3 wanted out. D1 did not for now. So that's where we are. We've seen D3 cancel everything in terms of fall sports. We have seen Division Two cancel its championships, which in effect cancels the fall sports. You know, we were talking about if the Division One canceled it. If NCAA at the Division One level canceled its championships, then theoretically you could still have the Power Five come together and say, okay, we're still playing and we'll host our own championship. But the Division One Council is made up more so of athletics directors and commissioners from Power Five schools. They've got the power to vote in the majority to do something as a group if they want to and still have it be an NCAA championship. So maybe that makes sense. Maybe it makes a lot of sense. Because it probably would have been more difficult for the board of directors who oversees all divisions to go, yeah, we're canceling D2 and D3, but we're going to let Division One continue to play. Well, that would have been viewed as inequitable, so they're able to pass it down to the decision-makers at each of those levels and have Division Three go, yeah, we're out. Can't afford it. We don't pay scholarships anyway. And Division Two go, yeah, we're not doing the championships. With probably some input from the NCAA, who would have to foot the bill for the championships, and now all you've got left is Division One. We know that football operates separate, but what's it going to look like at the Division One level? Are they still going to play soccer, volleyball, have cross-country, maybe play field hockey? I don't know. It's a great question, too. And then when you factor in, well, Division One is separated by two divisions within the division of 
programs and schools and conferences that can afford what it will probably take to put on a football season and those that can't. So Southern Conference, for example, the SOCON started practice or starting practice today. They're going to technically try to play, but when it comes down to putting on a football season, frequent testing seems to be a requirement. Yep. And are you really... Tulane, so Tulane, not a Power 5 school, is spending $100,000 a month on testing. Tennessee Chattanooga cannot afford $500,000 extra on top of their budget when they're not getting their buy game as well on testing. They, they can't do it. So it, when it comes down to the Division One Council and championships and stuff, can they separate the two? I guess it was a long-winded question. Can the Southern Conference and the FCS schools have a separate decision than the Southeastern Conference because the financial resources are apples and oranges or really apples and a lawn chair. Yeah, you can just have conferences cancel their fall sports. So the Southern Conference can say, like the SWAC has done, right? The SWAC said, we're not doing it. There's a lot of thought that the MAC may be getting close to saying, no football this fall. So you could have those conferences say, we're not doing fall sports. And the rationale would be incredibly understandable. They can't afford it. The MAC playing football generates a couple of million dollars in revenue from the TV deal with ESPN. The SEC playing football generates almost $50 million per school. Per school. That money allows these athletic departments with their bloated budgets and huge salaries to to continue to function. And even with that being the case, we are hanging on by a thread right now. Sports Talk Mississippi. College Football Fix is next. If you're holding your breath and waiting for the college football fix, I hope it's a deep breath because it's going to be a little while. We're going to get to that at 5.30. 5.37, actually. Welcome again. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Wednesday afternoon. We are going to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, to one of my favorites. Jim Gallagher, Jr., played on the PGA Tour Analyst with the Golf Channel was in Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago. Memphis last week, and uh, I guess now back in the uh, back in the friendly confines. Is that right? I'm in I'm in the Delta, the beautiful Delta. There you go, where everything is in bloom right now. Yes, it is in full bloom. But it was actually a nice day today. Well, cool compared to what we've had. So it's always good to be home. Jim, I said earlier today, and you know, part of this is just being a golf fan, but. I'm really, really excited for the PGA Championship. And and you and I have talked about this before. That was your favorite major, and you had some personal reasons. It has traditionally, of the four majors, been the one that I am least likely to watch. I mean, I watch it, but I don't have appointment viewing for it. But it just feels like this has got all the ingredients. A bunch of guys playing well. Tiger's back. It's on the West Coast. we got prime time for it. 
and we're so starved for big time sports period and golf in particular. I agree. And golf's been there's been some great tournaments and great finishes. And we like you said, a lot of good players playing well. You know, this major always fell in August when we played uh, for years and years and they moved it up to to May and it was uh, pretty pretty neat last year. It was gonna be in May this year and then got bounced back. But you know, you get on that West Coast, we we over here on the East Coast get to see it in prime time. It's gonna be a fun uh, week of watching golf. Hopefully the fog stays out. It's, it's really weird because the summers out there can be just as cold as the winters. And you mm-hmm. get those fog layers coming in there, but the golf course is going to hold its own. And these guys, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting golf course and it's interesting when you go out there. The ball doesn't go near as far as it does, you know, with it being cold. It's about 8%. I've heard some guys say in 10%. So it's kind of like the, when you play in elevation. So, I mean, they're going to have to add clubs and uh, play a little bit longer than they're used to you know last week in memphis that was going forever because it was hot so they've had to make some adjustments and, and it's going to be one of those uh this week i think it favors the bombers i think it favors those guys without any doubt uh but it's going to be fun i know everybody's excited about it. tv ratings are up and people are just dying to see some sports and we're starving for it Talk to me about Memphis just for a second before we really dive into the, to the PGA. You were there last week for the uh, World Golf Championship FedEx St. Jude Invitational. I know that's a really special tournament to you. Uh, in its previous incarnation, that's an event that you won. Uh, St. Jude, such a great organization. Really good field, no cut, so you got the 78 players for the whole time. And some pretty good golf, pretty good leaderboard. It was a great leaderboard, and you had Brooks Kepka, who the week before had missed the cut, had been putting horrible, hadn't been playing well. And I, I was working the studio for the week of uh, the 3M, which is in Minneapolis. And I said, you know, when he gets down on Bermuda in a golf course, he's, you know, he, he, he says, and this is what you have to kind of listen to. I know Tiger says it all the time, but he was saying, I'm not playing that bad. And there's a difference between guys not playing well or just not scoring. And he wasn't getting it done. And, you know, he had a chance to win. Of course, he. You bogey 16, which was, you just can't do that on a par five. But, uh, Justin Thomas played like he's been playing, uh, probably the, he is number one for a reason. And, but you couldn't ask for a better field for the tournament. I, I wish the fans could have been there to see it because it's so, uh, I think that's the thing we're going to see in this major this week too. Without fans, the players have all talked about it. Now they've been doing this for a few weeks is you don't get that just kind of energy you get from the fans and you don't know where anybody stands. That's the weird part. I would think playing without fans is you don't know, you don't hear the roars. You don't get that kind of adrenaline rush, uh, with that. So, uh, you know, I think that's going to be an interesting scenario this week too. Cause I mean, that's, that's part of the majors is getting the crowd into it and you're not going to have that. All right, Jim, you're qualified to answer this. All we've done is watch golf tournaments. You've played in them. What's the difference in what it feels like? And this is, I think, kind of what you were alluding to, playing in Memphis, playing at uh, you know wherever, regular tour stop, versus one of those four magical weekends when you've got a major. What's the difference in what it feels like? In a major is amped up just enough The players, just how they act, how they prepare, there's a there's something in the air that changes uh, because there's only four of them and we put such a price uh, in, in, on it of trying to win the majors. The fans are fired up. The golf course dictates a lot of that too. If it's a really good golf course, the guys are excited to play. But there's just something in the atmosphere that leads up to it because we only get four majors a year, uh, and, and you want to win those. I mean, because when guys look back on their careers. Uh, you know, winning a major is very important, and that's it's not that you've had not great careers but they put such an emphasis on that but it's just you get to that first team it just 
you know, like the old slogan in the SEC, it just means more. It, it does in a major. Uh, and, and it's, it's kind of like that as far as just the energy and the, and the fans get fired up about it. That's what would have been so cool when the U.S. Open is at Wingfoot is the crowd. They're so into it. They're so passionate in New York. Uh, that's, they get fired up probably more for the majors than they probably do for just the regular events. But, uh, for the players, there's just that added pressure of knowing what it means if you, you put your name on the PGA, you know, the Wanamaker Trophy that you're the PGA champ and, and, and you've won a major. I mean, I think for the players, it's, it's more important. For the golf fans, it is. I mean, they love it. You know, good, good field, but the WGCs and the big tournaments are good. But majors just kind of stand out for just because there's four of them and it's the uh, emphasis and with the, the players put uh, such a high price on it to win. Uh- uh, of the four majors, is the PGA Championship the the closest to a normal tour week setup? I mean, we, we know that USGA does crazy stuff with the course for a U.S. Open because they're trying to protect par or whatever, and Augusta's kind of its own thing with the way that it's built. And then Open Championship, different style of golf, generally speaking. It, is the PGA, just in terms of course setup and conditions, more comparable to week to week on the tour than the others. To a point, I think the roughs a little bit taller. They tend to not get. They don't. Kerry Haig does an incredible job. Probably sets up a golf course as good as anybody. It's tough. It's fair. You rarely see the guys come off. Which you know, guys, golfers, and pros. Everybody complains about stuff, but you rarely see them coming up and say it was tricked up. Uh, and, and I think that's part of it. It does resemble. Uh, probably a regular event, but depends where they're playing it at, too. Uh, and I think that plays a big part of it. And they, they tend to play some older golf courses. This, of course, is a municipal golf course open to the public. But the, the setup is similar. I don't think they have the rough this week they would probably like, but you don't see it near as... It's it's tougher than a regular event, but the all three, all four of them just kind of stand alone. But you're right, it's probably closer to a setup than, than any of the other ones. Jim Gallagher Jr., have you played Harding Park? You know, I haven't, but I won across the, the lake at the Olympic Club when I won the Tour Championship. And there's so many incredible golf courses. You got San Francisco Golf Club across the lake. You got Lake Merced. Yeah. You got Harding Park. I mean, it's it's the mecca in that area of this beautiful golf courses. I've never played it. I've just watched it. When I, and you think about it when I talked about Bombers winning it, when Tiger and John Daly. Uh, several years ago at the WGC, they were long hitters and they battled it out. So I, I remember watching there the match players there. So I mean, I've seen it. I've never played it, but I've heard a, a wonderful things about it. I know the players are excited about playing it. Uh, but and I think, like you said, with these guys all playing well, I mean, Kepka's playing well. You know, maybe Finau finally gets off the slide of finishing second and third, and maybe he gets his second win. Maybe it's a major. Rory's going to be up there. So I mean, I, I like those three guys. Being in there, long hitters, but uh, you know the one thing about a major championship is not over till Sunday, and it's going to be some good golf this week as long as the fog stays away. Uh, okay, you mentioned the fog a couple of times. The marine layer, I guess, is what they call it there in San Francisco. You know, you get that when you're you know up around Monterey at, at Pebble Beach and and those courses. Is there a difference here? This is not actually on San Francisco Bay. It's right on Lake Merced. You, you mentioned that a couple of times. San Francisco Bay, not far away. Is mm-hmm. it close enough to the bay that you still get that marine layer effect? Is it different coming off the lake as opposed to coming off the bay? No, I think it's the same. I mean, I, I'm not. Uh, you know, I know when you go further inland, it gets away, but it, it's very similar. Uh, I remember I played the USAM out there. We had fog. You know delays, but during the, the the Olympic Club when we had the uh, Tour Championship, we didn't have any. 
Uh, but I think this time of year they tend to get it. I just think the cool thing you're going to see is we're all talking about, oh, the ball goes too far, the ball goes too far. You're going to see these guys hitting normal length clubs. They may be hitting seven irons, 190 in Memphis, but this week it may go 160 uh, or 170. So, I mean, you know, those and, and Tiger was talking about that yesterday in his press conference. He said guys were already kind of laughing about their TrackMan data being so different already just in practicing this week than it was last week in Memphis. Oh, exactly. And I think that's 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 something they're going to have to adjust to. Bones is caddying for Justin Thomas, and he's, I heard him mention it's about 10% uh, more. I mean, usually they're taking it off because it goes so far in altitude or heat or whatever. It's rarely – the Pebble Beach you have a little bit, but I think this week it might go you know, even shorter – uh, than they're used to. So they have to make those adjustments, especially those guys that played in Memphis. Uh, it, it's a completely different look. But, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to watch it. I think it'll be great to watch it in primetime, like you said. And, and the coolest thing is we got a lot of good players playing a lot of good golf. And that's what's going to make it a fun uh, week, week, week of golf here as we go into the weekend. We're going to take a quick timeout. We've got more coming up with Jim Gallagher, Jr. He's an analyst on the Golf Channel, former PGA Tour pro himself. We'll continue to talk about the PGA Championship. We'll go ahead, uh, get him to go a little deeper on some of his favorites to win this week. Sports Talk Mississippi will continue after this. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Appreciate a little extra time from Jim, uh, Jim Gallagher Jr. joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line as we continue to talk about the PGA Championship, which begins tomorrow, TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. So, Jim, you said you, you think this is a course that favors the long hitters. Nobody is a longer hitter these days than Bryson DeChambeau. But he's also got a lot going on upstairs. Can he handle the pressure of a major championship and find himself holding the Wanamaker Trophy on Sunday night? Great question. I, I believe I saw it, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to see if my little brain will work, but I, I don't know if he's finished maybe 10th as his best in a major. Of course, he's not been playing professionally that long. But, you know, I think he's got a lot going on. He's had some uh, – made a big change. He came out hot. He's kind of cooled off. Uh, Memorial, you know, just a few weeks there. He had the, the meltdown there. He's had some things with cameramen and everything, so he's got a lot going on. You know, I, I, I'm not going to say he can't do it, but he wouldn't be one of the guys I would be saying that will be standing there at the end of the week. Um, just from what I'm seeing, his mental approach the last couple tournaments and just the way things are going, he's just kind of melted down since he had that great momentum going. Why, with the guy who's got the physical talent that he's got, and there's no arguing that, why is it that he can't separate – and, and quit worrying about all the other stuff. And maybe that's a really loaded question that's more uh, more suited for a sports psychologist. I, I, I don't know. But but what is it about him? Yeah, you know, he just does it his way, and I think it's, it's it's you know, I applaud him for trying to get better, try to get longer. You know, he changed, obviously, we've all talked about how much stronger and how much further he's hit it. I applaud him for trying to get better. As far as the, the distractions, you know, I don't know. That's that's something that I think as you as you get older, you learn to do a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, you can't really start fussing at people. You you got to stay focused on what you're doing. Camera guys are going to move. People are going to make noise. People, those things are going to happen. But when it lets it, you let it bother you, then then something else is happening in there. It's a it's a concentration lapse. Usually, I mean, you don't even you don't even see things when you're really focused in it. You don't hear anything. You don't see anything. Uh, but, you know, maybe he does need something like that. I, I don't have the mental what's going on in his brain, but you can't 
to win majors, you can't allow any of those distractions in. They got to be gone. You might be able to win a tournament with some of those going on, but you're not going to win a major if you're letting the fly go across and you hear him going by. Uh, you're going to have some trouble. So I think, you know, if you're going to win majors, you got to block all that stuff out and you got to be clear minded and 100% focused on what you're trying to do. Any idea what the fire ant situation is in San Francisco? I don't know if they have them, but it was interesting. <laughs> I know we got them, uh, but we I, got I don't know. It's just like it's it's constantly, and I I think you know, for him, he's played so well, and he's been such a getting all the attention, and now they they focused in on him. Of course, that just was a terrible thing, but uh, you know, it just kind of follows you. And and and, and like I said, if you're going to win majors, I've never won a major. I've been a second. I've been a third. I've been up there. And there was a concentration issue a couple times for me. So, but you got to block out everything. When you look back at those guys that win majors, they've blocked it out, and they're 100% into what they're doing. At, at least on the surface, the mental capacity or the ability to block everything out looks to be polar opposite from Bryson DeChambeau when you're talking about Brooks Kepka. You mentioned it a second ago. He'd been close, but hasn't been playing great. Played better last week. Let it get away from him at the end. Two-time defending champ in this event, three in a row would be incredible at the PGA. It would be, and that's that's why it's hard to go. Yeah, he's going to win, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. He, if we've watched him. He kind of gets when it comes major time, he gets uber focused, and he's ready to go, and he's starting to trend in the right direction because he was playing some pretty poor golf. I mean, one week it was just hitting the ball, the next week it was putting in a short game. Everything was, but it, it started to get a little closer. He kind of had the collapse there at the end last week but yeah he's a he's a person that can really block those things out and he honestly he, he doesn't care what anyone else thinks and i think you know i wish i could be more like that uh, <laughs> uh you know I, I just that's not my personality I mean, but then you look at a dustin johnson and everything just kind of bounces off of him uh it's it, the two different personalities there but yeah i mean brooks just is one of those guys that he doesn't care he's there to play he's there to win uh, and he's not, he, he's straightforward. I like him personally. I, I got to spend time with him in Korea, followed him for three days. And, and after the round, he was very cordial and we had some great conversations. I personally like the guy. I like how, how he's gotten to where he is. He had to work hard. He didn't come easy to him. And I think that's part of his, uh, personality is he had to work to get there. He had to go to Europe and play over there. He had to work it to get to the PGA tour. And now he's, you know, getting the benefits of it. And, you know, three in a row would be unbelievable, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised that he did it because I think he's trending in the right, right direction. But like you said earlier, there's a lot of players playing real well, too. There's a guy that generates some interest named Tiger. Uh, he's mm. only played four times this season uh, on, on tour. Can he put it together this week? Is there enough there? I don't know if this is the week, I think, because it's going to be cool. I think physically it's going to be a challenge. We, we, we talked about, I think it was you know, two weeks ago when I was in studio, you know, why is he skipping Memphis? I mean, we all wanted him to play there, but he was looking to the big picture ahead, the U.S. Open, the, the big, the Masters, all these things coming up in the fall, the playoffs. Uh, I don't know that he's had enough tournament reps. We, I mentioned it, you know, when he goes home, and I don't have any idea what he did last week. But when you play at home on the cart, it's different than when you're walking and playing uh, in a tournament. It's completely, it doesn't sound like to the people listening, they go like golfers, they're not athletes. Well, you start walking and playing, it's a different toll than just jumping on the cart and going to play. So I think, I don't know that he has the reps. I think he'll have a good week. I don't know that he'll be there at the end, but if he is, better watch out. But 
I just don't know that he's had the reps to be as sharp as he needs. He looks like he's making a putter change uh, this week, too, but we'll find out in the morning whether he really does it or not. Slightly off the radar name only because he's not American. He plays big events on the United States. Tommy Fleetwood, a little later getting over here after the, the restart. Is he a guy to watch? He's been close he in some majors. He, he could be. I'm th- I think he's a little like some of the players that when they first came out, they hadn't played and been in tournament golf. They'd been quarantined, been locked up, uh, not really practicing, able to practice. And, and I think he's gotten some reps under his belt. He's going to play nine in a row over here, which is crazy amount of tournaments. Uh, but he hasn't had the success the last couple of weeks. I think he's trying to play his way into it. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. He hits the ball phenomenal. It just depends if he can... You know, part of the Poana greens, although they're saying the Poana isn't as bad on these greens as, as uh, sometimes you get on the West Coast. But uh, he's possible. I don't know that he's playing that well compared to all uh, Ricky Fowler or uh, Brooks that's playing well and a female. I don't know if he's playing as good uh, as, as those guys are yet. Is Jordan Spieth ever going to kind of completely get it back? He had such a magical start to his career. It took a couple of years to ramp up, and then he just went on that unbelievable tear I, I saw a, a stat or heard a stat earlier this week that was a little mind-boggling to me. Uh, Justin Thomas has won nine times since Jordan Spieth last won on tour, and that was the Open Championship in 17. Can Spieth get it back? I sure hope so because he's such a good kid. He's so much fun to watch. Uh, but I just think he's like a lot of players, and, and we're so fragile you wouldn't think it. And he had such a magical season. It's always hard to follow those up. But I think he just has beat himself up a lot, you know, just kind of like wanting so much and demanding so much out of himself that you hope he could play his way out of it. He showed signs, but he couldn't finish it off. And I think those are the things you finally get to a point, and it's hard to figure out when that's going to happen, where you finally just get out of your way. You hear it all the time, but I think he's in his own way. Uh, and, and you can see that just the way he gets frustrated so quickly at himself. And that's great that he's competitive and, and he has that desire to be there. But I sure hope he does because he's he's great when he's up there. He's fun to watch. He's a good person. Uh, but he still has some work to do. He's got to get that driver straight straightened out. I think he could be a little bit off with it this week, but not by much. All right, last guy to individually ask you about. You mentioned him earlier, Roy, Roy McElroy. When he's got it going, there may not be anybody on tour that's got more talent, but he doesn't seem to be able to do that all the time. There's a little bit of major scar tissue in, in there as well. Do you like Rory this week? I, I, I listened to his presser, and he sounds he's saying the right thing. You know, before we went into the, the quarantine, he was playing great golf. He was top of his game, uh, and he kind of lost that momentum. And he is. He's a little inconsistent. But, uh, you know, I, I think he's trending in the right direction. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised he's up there. I don't know if he'll win, but uh, I think he'll, he'll compete. I, I kind of even like Ricky Fowler. We didn't mention him much. I, I think hmm. he's showing signs. He's made a big change with John Tillery. He's starting to see the change maybe take place where he's getting some confidence in it. It's tough to make swing changes and make adjustments. and get. You don't always get the instant success. I mean, people think that are listening and watching, oh, these guys go to a new coach, they're going to have instant success. It doesn't happen like that. John Tillery told me when he went to work with Kevin Kisner, it took him almost two years to get the, what he had that breakout season. So for Ricky, he showed some signs that he's starting to trust the things they're working on. Uh, he's a California kid. It'd be kind of one that finally gets his major. And he's another one of those guys you just kind of root for. Uh, and I look for him to have a good week as well. 
Jim Gallagher Jr., five PGA Tour wins, Ryder Cup in 1993, President's Cup. He's an analyst on the Golf Channel. Uh, you can check out his podcast also, Only One Shot Golf Podcast there if you are interested. Jim, you are the best. Always enjoy our chats, my friend. All right, thanks for calling, and uh, we are going to play golf one of these days, I promise. Yeah, I'll believe it when it actually happens. <laughs> right, take care of yourself. Jim Gallagher, Jr., joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's your PGA Championship preview. What a fun conversation with Jim Gallagher, Jr. If you are even a little bit of a golf fan, that should have served as a great primer for you as we get set for the PGA Championship to begin tomorrow on the West Coast. Uh, pitching optional in Philadelphia this afternoon. Yankees and Phillies are playing. Phillies led it 11-3. to It is now 11-7, to and the Yankees keep hitting lots of home runs. So, there uh, there you go. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. We pushed it back a little bit, but certainly want to get right now to the college football fix, which is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buy Ford now. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. But you can also find out about the summer sales event, which brings great savings on the full line of SUVs at Ford. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So, for the college football fix, the Big Ten has released its revised schedule. They did that earlier today, and unlike other conferences, the league is going to start on Labor Day weekend. So, this philosophy, the SEC said we want to give ourselves more time on the front end, and we're going to try to start playing on September 26th. We feel like getting students back on campus, getting teams acclimated, that's going to make the most sense, and it's going to give us the best chance not to just start but finish the season. The Big Ten said, no, we're going to approach it a different way. We're going to start when the season was scheduled. Everybody with a 10-game schedule is going to have two open dates during the regular season. Those open dates are matched up uh, strategically so that you can potentially replace a game that you missed. And then there's an open date after week 12 of the season for any potential makeup games. And they've left the 12th and the 19th of December open on the calendar if they needed to push their championship game back from December 5th. Which strategy, which scenario do you like more, do you think makes more sense? The strategy the SEC is going with where they're saying, hey, we're going to wait until the end of September. We've got one open date, and if we need to add a week or two at the end to try and make up some games, we will. Or spacing things out more but trying to start at the beginning of September. Which do you like more? I think the delay makes more sense when it comes to bringing students back. Because that couldn't that just cause a whole additional stir of trouble when they arrive? And I mean, you've seen it. Louisville had to shut their stuff down today, and they traced the outbreak back to a party that all these football players went to, and they got coronavirus at the party. So wouldn't you think that starting later, after students arrive on campus, would allow you for a little bit of a grace period for when college kids do college kid things, you can isolate the ones that didn't follow the rules and still have a roster available for the first game? I think that's a reasonable thought process. Yeah, I'm with I'm with Borky. I like that idea. I mean, from, if I'm correct, school starts in Starkville on the 17th. That's a full month of 
everybody being together, intermingling. You're going to have some positives, but you have time to, to, to get the positives, get people quarantined, and get everything you know as close to normal as you possibly can by the start of the, of the season. I think Ole Miss starts a week later. I believe it's the 24th. It, it certainly is that week. Um, so, yeah, same scenario there. You've got a full month until you play the first game. So if everybody goes crazy for the first two weeks and you have some positive tests pop up, then you've got time to do the quarantine thing and get over that and then hopefully get back to uh, get back to playing. Uh, schedule looks a little bit different in the Big Ten than it has in previous years, and that is in so much as they move rivalry games around. Uh, the biggest rivalry game in the Big Ten is Ohio State-Michigan. Normally that happens the Saturday after Thanksgiving, the final game of the regular season. This year, Ohio State-Michigan will happen on October 24th. Early take blowout little... loss for Michigan. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to save it to the end and wait with bated breath to see what's going to happen? Uh, my question, so uh, we've talked about this a little bit around here, and there's been some reporting that the Egg Bowl is not moving from the last game of the year. Um uh, but if Ohio there? State, there has been. Um, I think everybody's just guessing on that. I think they're guessing when we when we talked about it being the first game of the year. I think people are guessing with it being the last game of the year. If they tell you it's going to happen on Halloween night, I think it's just a guess. Yeah. Um, Did I see where USC said that they were going to take advantage of a bye week in the Pac-12 schedule and move the UCLA game to the end. It was supposed to be week one, but they didn't want to do that after all. Hmm. I, I don't I know. missed that. I, I think that's, their president said something to some boosters about that they'll probably do that. They'll just go ahead and say, no, let's, let's move that game. Tradition matters, man. Well, the, the terminology that was used about the Egg Bowl, if I remember correctly, hey, Dad, you'd probably know more than me, was that it's not happening. That, that a move from the last game of the year is... I have seen that reporting, yes. Um, but my question is, if Ohio State-Michigan, you know, people talk about the Iron Bowl around here, but Ohio State-Michigan, when you talk about college football rivalries, is either one or it is 1A or 1B. It's not below two. As far as nationally prominent, major attention, all that stuff, historic rivalries, it, it's Iron Bowl... It's Ohio State, Michigan, and I think that's one and two. Either way, if that game is not too big to be preserved for the end of the year, then certainly what we've been talking about, and to your point, it's just been fodder and and radio talk, but there's no way we can sit here and think that the Egg Bowl, there's no way we can move it from the end of the season because it's always at the end of the season when Ohio State, Michigan, a far more significant game, has been moved to earlier in the season, right? Yeah, it's possible that it could happen. It's been, I wouldn't say it's probable, but it's certainly possible. It was interesting. I was on a three-man front today with the guys over in, uh, on Jocks, and uh, they, had, they, they were running a poll because they were talking about this very topic, but from an Iron Bowl perspective. And I think they said it was like 75, 25 fans wanting to keep it at the end of the season. They asked me what I thought about if what would it be here in Mississippi. I thought it would be more. It'd be closer, but you know, sixty forty, keeping it towards the end of the season. So I, I think people want it there, and in, in the SEC, you know, tradition is a big deal. So I, I, I'll be surprised if it's moved, but I won't be shocked. I'll put it that way. 
In terms of some of the biggest games on the calendar in the Big Ten, you look at Michigan's schedule. Michigan-Penn State is week three, September 19th. Michigan-Michigan State is October 3rd. Uh, Michigan-Ohio State, we mentioned a second ago, was October 24th. They play Wisconsin the next week. How about that for a stretch? Ohio State-Wisconsin in back-to-back weeks. Um, Ohio State uh, will play Michigan State, and then Michigan, they play Penn State on November 7th. Penn State, uh, I guess we kind of looked at those. They've got Michigan State in week four. I mean, are there any other like rivalries that you're like, man, you know what, I really want to watch that game? When you're thinking about the Big Ten. No, they have more trophy games than everybody else and fewer rivalries that anybody else cares about. Um, I love all those trophy games. When when do Wisconsin and Minnesota play? That's my favorite. uh, September 26th. Love love that game. Ohio State and Illinois have a trophy game. It is a giant wooden turtle. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How about Indiana's start to the season? Wisconsin on Friday night, September 4th, followed by Penn State. So it's road game at Wisconsin. Ooh. Well, Camp Randall's not going to feel the same. Uh, followed by Penn State, and then they get Illinois, and then they get Ohio State. And then an open date before they play Minnesota and Michigan. <laughs> That's <Ooh>. fun. Uh, <coughs> how about the Big Ten, on purpose or not, just gave Wisconsin a free pass to the Big Ten championship? No Ohio State or Penn State on the schedule. You're welcome. That's a pretty big deal in the uh, Big Ten West. Pretty big deal. Well, didn't they scrap divisions? They've got it. No, that was the ACC. They've still got it broken down west and east. Did you see? I still can't quite figure out if this is a joke or not. But Brett McMurphy said, a tweet of his at 8 o'clock this morning after the Big Ten released their schedule. Weird new Big Ten rule this year. Team that has been most recently quarantined gets to choose to receive opening kickoff or defer to second half. He's joking, right? Yes. Yes. Is I mean, unless unless we're in, like, truth is stranger than fiction times, which in some ways we are. You, you say that again. Team that has most recently been quarantined will get to choose to receive or defer. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. I did read somewhere along the way where the midfield coin toss will be attended by four people. You will have the referee, the umpire, and one captain for each team. Right. There's only one captain now on each side. So that'll be interesting. Who's your best bet for Ole Miss's team captain? Um... I don't know. Almost a no-go, maybe? Probably. State will be Kylan or Errol, one of the two. Yeah. And maybe it won't be the same guy for every game. I I don't know. That's true. Rotate through some different players when it's all said and done. Does Brishon Matthews have any eligibility left? That is uh, like my favorite moment of game day, is being able to stand out on the 50-yard line and just kind of look around before the captains walk out. Be a little bit different feel this year. I guess I won't be able to be out there, period. But, uh, oh well. Sports Talk Mississippi.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.